0: Hi, I'm Clay Smith, the lead pastor at Alice Drive Baptist Church in Sumter, South Carolina. Somewhere along the line, somebody told you that the supernatural wasn't real. Were they right? Let's talk about that today as we join this worship service already in progress.
1: Morning, Alice Drive. Y'all doing well today? Hold up. Are y'all doing well? I just heard you singing. You sounded like you were doing well. Are y'all doing well today? Yes, Uh, my name is Delmar. I'm uh, one of the communicators here on stage, and uh, as a couple weeks ago, I've actually stepped into and had the privilege of stepping into the role as campus pastor at our Percala campus. Yes, so I kind of just want to report here first, official report we're having a good time. I'm just saying, we're having a really good time. And I think hopefully this morning we have a good time in God's word. I think church should be fun, right? Um, so let's pray. God, I just pray in these next few minutes, God, as we dig into your word, God, that your spirit would just dig into us. God, anything that I say that it's of me, that that'll be the stuff that's forgotten. But God, that your truth, that'll be the stuff that remains and changes us. In Jesus' name. All God's people say it. Amen. Um, quick question. Any of y'all have a moment where like every detail of that moment is vivid for you? Any of y'all have that moment? Um, I, have a, I have a lot of those, but I was thinking through this past week. One of the first moments where everything is in vivid detail for me was actually when I became a Christian. Okay? And I think a lot of us are like, oh, that's a cute story. <laughs> oh, no. Not me. Or maybe for you. Let me, tell you, let me tell you what I mean. I'll, I'll, I'll share with you. Um, when I was nine, I went to a concert. Now, I'm about to drop a name, and some of you old school Christians are going to know exactly who we're talking about, okay? I went to a Carmen concert. Where are my old school Christians, okay? Um, I went to a Carmen concert, and when I was there, um, I, I, this was my first concert, so already I'm like, this is amazing. And In the middle of one of his songs, he goes, okay, now we're going to tell you about the spiritual world. I'm like, okay, Carmen? And all of a sudden he starts singing this song, smoke comes out on the stage, red lights are beaming through the smoke, and then these dancers come out on stage, and they they start like moaning and screaming and, and, you know, moving their bodies, contorting like they're burning in hell. If you of you been to a concert, you know what song I'm talking about. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is horrible. Like my mama don't even let me go watch these kind of movies, and she bring me to the concert, you know? Like, it was bad. And I remember sitting there. So this whole, he depicted out what he thinks hell looks like, which is a lot of dancing and smoke machines, I guess, okay? Um, but I, I'm scared to death. And then Carmen goes, now who wants to go to that? And in my nine-year-old mind, I'm like, we all just paid to go to it, right? <laughs> but, in, but at the same time, I'm like, I don't want to go to that. Because that's, that's scary. He goes, well, who doesn't want to go to hell? Well, if that's the option, sign me up for whatever the other option is. And I just remember every detail. Like literally, I was scared into the kingdom of God, okay? And, and, and I think about that whole thing, and really, that was one of my first exposures to what we would call the spiritual world as well, albeit a pretty bad version, okay? And I think that's why we need to have this conversation about the spiritual world, isn't it? Because everybody has their own idea about what it looks like. And our hope is that as a church, we all have the same conversation so we can all get on the same path. Does this make making sense. So that's what we're going to do the next few weeks. We're going to try to have the same conversation about this crazy world where we use these mega words like, you know, like miracle and demon. Like, what does that even mean? We, the whole purpose here is we just want to start a conversation. So what we need to do is we don't want to just immediately jump to the end. We have to start at the beginning and don't overlook the glaring question, is the spiritual world even real to begin with? And that's a fair question, isn't it? Because this is true. If you're here today and you're a Christian, are there not moments when you even struggle with doubt, right? Are there not moments when you even struggle with being a skeptic? So if you're a skeptic in the room, you're like, I don't even know, congratulations, you're in good company. We all struggle with being a skeptic. I t- you tell you how I know. Um, because just recently in my life, um, there's a guy, many of you know him just through pop culture and everything, but his name's Kanye West, right? You know what I mean? If you don't know Kanye, he's a rapper, I would say he's an entrepreneur, he's got his own clothing line. Now, here's the thing I'm a millennial, I grew up with Kanye, okay? Now, the thing you need to know about this guy is take what you would think was a Christian and do the opposite. That was Kanye West. Am I lying? Like, there's a saying out there. It goes like this. Everybody deserves to have someone love themselves as much as Kanye loves his own self. Like, that's a saying, right? And And then a few months ago, Kanye West came out and said, listen, I met Jesus. I'm a Christian. Now, default... What should we've been doing as a church? What did the church do? Oh, we'll see how that goes, right? Oh, yeah, he's going to sell some tickets. We see how them Christian movies sell. Even the bad ones make bank because it's got Jesus stamped on the cover. You know, like, that's a lot of the skeptic. And, and I'm just going to be honest. Like, even a part of my own soul had some skepticism in it. And then he released his next album. And if any of y'all ever turn that on, I'm listening to it, and I'm like, oh, this this does not sound like something who was written by somebody who's just trying to cash it in. This actually sounds like it's coming from a place where this guy's walking through the faith. So, so all that to say, is Kanye a Christian? You know, I pray so, I hope so, but the larger point is this, every single one of us in here struggles with this tension between the spiritual world and skepticism and log- logic sometimes, don't we? So it is completely fair when we say we have no right to judge anyone if they're struggling, whether all of it's real to even begin with. However, I would be willing to bet my boss's next paycheck, okay? I'd be willing to bet his paycheck that every one of us in the room, maybe even in the world, we even if we say we don't believe in the spiritual world, we operate like we do. I'd be willing to bet that. I I think we could just take a poll. How many of us in the last week could say that you've seen or read or heard of something that you would call evil Mm -hmm. i mean i know i have i know a lot of y'all have seen what's even happened in our own state this week this pure evil like you can't look at that and not call it evil Now, here's the thing. Here's the interesting thing. That question I just asked that all of us raised our hand to, it poses as a really nice question. Well, do you think good and bad things exist? But actually, that question is a severely theological question. And how you answer that question actually determines a lot about what you really believe in your deepest soul because see, here's the facts. The only way for us to ever identify what evil is, is, is if there is some standard of good that exists. The only way we can even claim that evil exists is if we claim that there is a perfect standard of good that exists. Um, former atheist, and a lot of y'all know his name, C.S. Lewis, um, he was struggling through this. He actually said this. When he was an atheist, he said, My argument against God was that the universe, it just seemed cruel and unjust. But how had I got this idea of just and unjust? For a man does not call a crooked line crooked unless he has some idea what a straight line is. What's he saying? He's saying the only way you can even begin to identify evil is if there's already the goodness that's out there. Right? The only way you can identify it is if you've seen the good, unlike the Mexican tetra fish. That's where all y'all were going, right? You are like, oh man, that Mexican tetra fish thing. Yeah, he's going to go there. No, unlike, yeah, like, unlike, no, but seriously, the Mexican tetra fish is a fish. Some of y'all have already seen the difference in this fish. What's What's unique about this fish? He doesn't have eyes, right? And the reason the Mexican tetrafish doesn't have eyes is because this guy lives deep in underwater caves where water never reaches his entire species. I mean, water. That would be weird. Where light never reaches. He <laughs> flops around, okay? But light <laughs> never reaches his entire species. So here's the thing. If you are never surrounded by light, you don't need what? Eyes. This little fish has no concept of life. You know, because I'm Dell you know, and I get a little ADHD sometimes, um, I was thinking, you know, what would a little neon tetra fish think? You know, what, are, what do they think? You know, the only thing that came to my mind was probably something like, just keep swimming. Just keep swimming. Just, just keep swimming. I mean, I, that's what I'm thinking. But I'm like, I'm like, going there in this exercise, I'm like, what are these fish thinking because they don't ever see anything? And then it just occurred to me, actually... I can tell you what they don't think. The Mexican tetrafish never thinks, sure is dark today. Never thinks it, right? Never once has this little fish been like, man, it's so dark, I just bump into stuff, right? The reason they don't think that is because it's never even experienced the light, it can't even identify the darkness. Light doesn't even exist where it exists. However, you and I, we have experienced the light. We, we know what goodness is. And similarly, we can't know what evil is without good. And there has to be a perfect standard. There has to be some standard of goodness. Now, here's the interesting thing. Every one of us has some kind of standard, right? And one of the philosophies in our world teaches this. It says this, you just take your truth, And whatever your truth is that you find through your experiences, that's how you come up with your versions of good and evil, right? This is actually the most popular definition of good and evil. Everybody has their own truth. And and interestingly enough, I think the illustration, if you just run through a quick logic test, it kind of has some problems, right? For example, right now, I have a two-year-old in my house. How many of you would be willing to let your toddler define what is truth in your house? If I did that, I'd be eating goldfish and sour worms for every single meal, right? I'd be like, no, no, no. You could say that's truth, Calvin, but that's not truth, right? That's not truth. But, and see, and see, the reality that we're brushing up against in that moment is this: truth is is a standard that exists outside of humans, right? Truth is a standard that exists whether or not we like to believe it or not. See, a standard that exists inside of, stu- inside of us, that's not truth. That's not your truth. That's your opinion about the truth. The thing that exists inside of us will be better called a conviction. It would be better called a conviction. So, so I, I would just kindly just say, like, truth does exist. We believe that exists outside of us. And another philosophy that's super popular right now about where good and evil and truth comes from is just that the whole world is just this ebb and flow of goodness and badness, like the force, you know, like these things are at war. And I'll just be kind of honest, in a way, these forces, you're right. But we believe that they have names. And we, as Christians, believe that the Bible is the bottom line. And that those names for what is good and evil are found in something outside of us through God's word given to us, right? That's what we believe. Now, I know that right now there's some of us like, well, you're jumping over the glaring fact that some people don't believe this is true. Now, here's the thing. If that's kind of the camp you're in right now, can I just ask you, please just write this down in your iPhone or on a piece of paper, like March 22nd. Because March 22nd, that is the question we're coming to talk about. How do we even know that this is reliable to begin with? But the big glooming point that we want to lean in today is this. What do Christians believe? And we believe because we can experience evil, that there has to also be a supernatural good. And we believe that supernatural good is only found in God. It's not anything you're going to find on this world. Because we believe everything in this world is broken. Every one is broken. So if we're trying to find that standard good, there is no way we can find it in this world. So we have to be real honest though. I think some of us in here are like, yeah, the world is broken and there has to be some good, but that doesn't necessarily lead me to God. And here's the thing. Okay, that's fair. That's fine. I hear you. But can I just offer you this? Like if you can even conceive that evil exists, then you have to perceive that that means good does exist. And if there is good, then maybe there really is this supernatural exchange of good and evil fighting for your soul. And my hope is this, that even if you sit here in, in that tension today, you at least desire to be on good's side, whoever that is. That's our hope. And see, we believe that there really is a spiritual war going on. Unlike the tetrafish who can't see the darkness, we can. And there must be a darkness to fight. So if the spiritual world is real, we need to know how to, how to live inside of it, right? We need to know how to fight it. And what we're going to do today, if you have your Bibles, if you can open up to Ephesians 6. So as I hear your Bible's turning and your phone's clicking on to your Bible app, so let me just kind of set it up. Ephesians chapter 6, um, up until this point, Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus, and he's actually doing a really good job. He's saying, listen, okay, if you're a Christian, this is how you get along with your neighbor. This is how you get along with the people you work with. This is how you get along with your family. You, your job as a Christian is to be love and unity in every relationship that you have now here 's the deal that preaches really nice. how easy is that? be honest like how how really really easy and that and that 's really the tension he walks us up to he 's saying in chapter six i 've just told you what it looks like to be a Christian, but all of you right now are thinking that 's really hard, and he 's about to share with us why that is really hard here it is, ready um, verse ten. He says this, finally, after all these things we've been talking about, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand, what? Against the schemes of the devil. For we do not, what? Wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. He's saying this, do you ever feel like life is just punching you in the face? Just be honest. You ever just feel like I wake up and I just try to pour a bowl of cereal and my day is already bad, right? Like, I'm just trying to, like, he's saying this. There's a reason that there is tension in your family. There's a reason why there are relationships in your life that you are trying to avoid. Paul's saying, hey, listen, there's there's a reason that why there's in so many of us This emotional battle that we fight every day, and some of it, it may be expressed through what Pastor Clay talked about last way, through through anxiety and depression. But what Paul is saying here is this, everything that's fallen and broken in your world, there's actually a reason. And the reason is this, we're in a spiritual war. The word he uses for the word wrestle there, if you look at it, he says we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. That's actually only used one place in the whole Bible. And the, the Greek word for that is pale. And it's actually like a military fighting term, which means this, to have someone pinned down by the neck. You ever feel like you're on the losing end of that battle? I mean, you ever feel like you just go look around the world. You ever feel like you're on the, the losing end of that? Like, like your coworker, you're like, I am trying to get along, but they got me pinned down. Maybe you're older or maybe and it's your child. You're like, I raised this kid. I loved it. I kept it alive, you know, and, and now it has turned its back on me, right? Maybe it's your own physical health. Here's the thing. I don't know what it is, but I know this. Every single one of us in this room, you have something that you would identify as your enemy, Something around you that you interact with or that you try not to interact with. Here's the one thing I would encourage you. And I did this exercise this earlier this week. And I'm going to be honest, it, it landed on me kind of hard. So I'm, I'm not asking you to do something easy. But what's the enemy in your life? Like maybe you just need to call that name in your mind. Maybe you need to write it down on a piece of paper and just own it. Be like, yep, that's the thing I look at as my enemy. Now here's what Paul would say. He would say, look at that. Look at that thing. But your battle is not against flesh and blood. He says, your boss, that's not your enemy. I know as much as you want to think it is, that's not your actual enemy. Your neighbor with them loud barking dogs is not your enemy, right? Some of you are like, oh, I have the barking dogs. You're not my enemy, okay? Hey, this this one's the one that really kind of worked up in me. The person who doesn't agree with you politically is not your enemy it's not your enemy. Your ex isn't your enemy. And some of you are like, well, you hadn't seen my ex. Okay, that's fair. But I've seen scripture. And there is only one person. There's only one entity that exists for the sole purpose of seeing your demise. And that is the very real spiritual enemy. And here's the thing. You will never win any battles in your life if you're fighting the wrong enemy. What Paul is trying to say right here is this. Christian, anyone who's listening, you need to fight the right enemy. You know, the whole time we go online, you see people fighting all the time. All that is is a world of people fighting the wrong enemy. That's all it is. The number one thing we can do as believers in this spiritual environment is to fight the correct enemy. Because when we don't, it ends up poorly. Um, I, I grew up down on South 15, right? Some of y'all are familiar with that. Like, that's down next, Paxville, Home Branch area, okay? Every Sunday after church, we would eat lunch and then go ride four-wheelers. And I'm not talking about, oh, we like to ride in the backyard. No, like, we would take... I knew grown men who would take days off work to make trails through Paxville and Home Branch, okay? Like, we were real boys, okay? So here's the thing. We would go riding, and here's the You ride through the trail, but something happens on the trail that makes it really fun every now and then. Where are my country folk at? You know what it is? Mud. <laughs> yeah? Like you can ride all day long, but when you hit the mud, you're like, oh, we about to have fun up in here, right? So one day we were riding, and there's probably 10 or 15 of us. We would ride every Sunday, and we we're, were cutting through home branch. And also we're, we're going down through the branch, come on the other side of it, and there's mud. And I'm like, I'm going to gun it. And I gunned it, and I went into the mud, and I felt myself starting to get stuck okay now for those of you who are new at this when you feel yourself starting to get stuck at the four-wheeler number one thing you need to do is you need to like you need to start rocking it because your tires aren't getting traction right so what i'm doing is i'm rocking the four-wheeler and it's not going and i'm like what's going on so next thing you do you jump on it so i'm starting to jump on the four-wheeler and all of a sudden all the wheels are spinning i am stuck in the mud and I'm like, oh, man. So all the other guys cut the four-wheeler off. Like, really? You're stuck? I'm like, yeah. So I get the four-wheeler, and I try to push it out. Finally, I called one of my friends. I was like, here's what I want you to do. I'm going to stand behind the four-wheeler. Y'all already know. It's like, it's like watching the Titanic movie. You know how this is going to end, right? Like, I'm going to stand behind the four-wheeler. I want you to stand up there by the trigger thing, mash it down, and make it go. So I get down like this, and I push it. And he guns it and go all the front side of me covered in mud. Meanwhile, I had this, I was, I had this female who was riding with me. I was trying to impress her that day, right? She was not impressed. I'm just saying. I, the whole front of me covered in mud. The back just the cleanest day is long, right? I'm just like, really? And I'm sitting there popping the mud out my eyes. Everybody is laughing. And then finally somebody gets off the 4 there who've been riding a little bit longer than me. And I still, I don't hold too much bitterness, but he walks up to the four-wheeler. He goes, mm-hmm. Like, what? He goes, you trying to shove stuff under the tires to get traction and rock it off? Yeah, but you actually stuck on a root. You should have just picked it up the whole time. He goes, mash the gas, picks it up, rides right out of the mud. I'm like, are you kidding me? Because, see, the whole time, I'm looking at the problem. But, see, the problem ain't the problem. I was fighting the wrong enemy. And the reason I'm covered in mud right now, super embarrassed, is because I was fighting the wrong enemy the whole time and didn't even know it. I dare say it would be really good for us as Christians to hear that word today. Some of the reasons some of us are covered in mud and covered in the filth of life right now is because we've been sitting down there fighting the wrong enemy, and we're not getting to the actual root of the problem. Like, that's where we really got to lean in. So, like, this is a tall thing, tall order that he gives us. He gives us a tall order, and, and what that means is this. When we look at the evil people in the world, it's realizing they're not the source of that evil. And actually, bigger picture, Scripture would say we have all participated in that. By our default, see, in Scripture, we call that sin, right? Sin is, is the evil in our life, and none of us gets out of this life at, without it. So here's the thing. When we see those people who would call themselves our enemies, and instead of saying they're the source of evil, maybe it would do better for us to say they're actually the people enslaved to it. How would that change the way we see people? Instead of seeing the people who I've been told by my culture I should hate because of their views, instead of seeing them like that, say, no, no, no. These are people who need redemption just like I do. Because sometimes it is your neighbor this participating in the evil, sometimes it's your best friend. And sometimes it's us. We all need that redemption. And, and this is the weight of it. You, like, you feel the, the weight of that? That's the tension in the room, that this life is filled with battles. And the number one thing we need to do in every battle is to try to fight the right enemy. How do we even begin to do that? Well, I think the first thing we need to do is really, and truthfully, we need to determine if this war is even worth fighting to begin with, right? I think it's, it's so easy for us just to kind of be like, well, it, it may not exist, or I'm just kind of gray on it. And here's the thing. If you're here today and you are a skeptic, and you're like, well, I don't even think that this whole spiritual thing exists. I'll say this. If you're right, and we both die, we're both fine. Right? If I die and quit existing, okay, had a good run at it. Got to make some friends. Okay? Like, But if we die, and you're wrong, we're not both right. And that's why we have to sit in this tension. And I know it's tension. I felt it too when I was nine. You don't forget that tension of realizing that there's more, right? And the second thing we need to do is this. We always need to make sure we're fighting the right enemy. Because you know what? We do believe there is this cosmological enemy, and his name is Satan. And he has his own allegiances with him. And and we're going to get into that conversation. But all that to say, we believe that Satan exists. And you know why? Among a lot of other reasons, because Jesus believed he existed. And any guy who can supernaturally predict his own death and resurrection to prove that he is God, I'm going to believe he's telling me the truth about Satan and the enemy and the supernatural as well. And then the last thing we need to do is we need to make sure that we're readying ourselves for battle. And I'm just going to be honest as I'm writing, this one's the one that kind of like rubbed me the hardest because I struggle with this sometimes, right? Like, if if the battle we were fighting was a physical battle, it would be a lot easier, wouldn't it? Like some of you in here are strong enough to fight a physical battle. I know that because I see your pictures online of you in the gym in front of like stop doing that. But I see it. You're strong. We get it. Guns. All right, guns out. Like, you get it. Some of you in here, you're smart. You like your degrees have degrees. You're smart, right? You got or maybe you're like, no, I got street smarts. Okay, I'll give you that, right? Like some of you are smart. If a physical attack came to you, you'd be good. Some of you, because I know you, some of you, because I'm related to you, I know if a physical attack came your way, your gun ball is two vaults deep, right? you got enough physical things to protect you from an entire zombie outbreak, okay? But this is not a physical war we are in. And no thing made by any human can protect you from the things that are coming for your soul. That's why we have to make sure that we are readying ourselves for the right battle, which means we have to daily be leading in areas of faith. We have to daily not—we have to be growing in our faith. I read one of the worst articles I've ever heard this week. It said this. Um, it was it was some Christian article saying parents should not tell their kids what to believe about faith. They should let them experiment and find it on their own. So then maybe they'll own their own path. And I'm like, so you want them to figure it out on their own. Okay, let that train of thought follow really lightly through the logic train. Did you do that with your kids when they were learning how to drive? Oh, just figure it out on your own. If you figure out how to drive good, that's really cool. I'm sure you'll get along. No one does that. Now, you tell me what's more important, the physical well-being of our children or the spiritual. And yet, we'll take a back seat to that and be like, oh, we just need to let them figure it out. I don't want a YouTube video informing my kid of what to believe, right? And I think one of the things I've seen, this is a little off script, but I've seen in the church is so many times the men which Scripture has said, you should be willing to die for your family, have taken a back seat when it comes to leading in the family spiritually, and so many women feel like they have to they have to make sure their kids are ready and they're here. Listen, every family deserves to be loved. And one of the ways we love isn't just providing a dollar so we can get our kid through college. It's providing a safe place to have conversations about their faith. We have to be making sure we're fighting the right battle. And the only way to fight this darkness is to step into the light. And the way we do that is we put on what scriptures say in verse 11, the whole armor of God. Which means as Christians, we, we clothe ourselves with the, the qualities of God that help us fight this war. Why do we do it? It says in verse 10, we do it because we need to be strong. And the idea there being strong is it being strong once. Listen, when you're on a battlefield, you don't just need to be strong once. You need to be strong every single day because every day you have the battle, don't you? And that's the weight. That's the weight of it. That's the heavy truth. But here's the thing. You can't talk about weight without talking about the good, right? We can't sit here and say, yeah, this is a lot of battles and say, but there is no hope because as Christians, we are people of hope. And here's the thing. Here's where we get to rest our hat. No matter what battle you are facing today, no matter what the perceived enemy is in front of you, the war has already been won. It's already, yeah, it's already been won. Like, No matter what it faces, do you know how you fight differently when you know you've won? And it was won by Jesus Christ on that cross. And what's really unique about that whole situation, he was fighting the right enemy. See, he wasn't cursing the men who hung him there. He wasn't slapping back the Roman soldiers. Actually, if you read the account, he was offering them forgiveness. He goes, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they do, proving these words true. They're enslaved to that evil. He was fighting the right enemy. And then another thing that's just beautiful is while he was fighting the right enemy, he had everything he needed. You know, I I don't think it's coincidence that when Jesus hung on the cross, he hung there naked. I mean, by any standard, he had no thing created by man to offer him any protection, even modesty. Matter of fact, the only thing Jesus had with him made by man was the thing that was killing him. But yet, the great irony and the beautiful thing of the gospel is this. See, when the world sees Jesus on the cross, they say, well, there's a a guy who died for his followers. That's really sad. What the scriptures teach is this. No, that is our God up there fighting the right enemy in that moment, having the biggest battle victory ever. And even though he hung there naked, he was fully clothed in all the armor he ever needed. And that is what he offers you. That same armor that helped him endure the cross on your behalf for your salvation. He offers you that now every single day. He offers that to you through faith in him, through having faith in Jesus. And here's the wonderful thing. Here's the so wonderful thing. When you have faith in Jesus and he's given you the armor because you have victory over evil, you now get to live your life as not someone who's subject to evil, but someone who already has the victory over it. And that changes everything. Right? You ever met somebody who was just perpetually subject to evil? I remember the first time I met that guy. His name was Eeyore. You ever met Eeyore? Right? (laughs) Oh, well, the sun's shining too bright today. Okay. Like, you know. No, 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 no. See, Jesus turns us from an Eeyore to a poo. I'm just saying. That's what he does. He gives us that hope. He gives us hope. And I don't know where you're at today, but I know, I know. Because I've talked to some of you, some of you here today, you're like, the only reason I'm here is because I need hope. That is the gospel. Hope. So today, there's really, there's really just one thing I just want to encourage you with. If you're here today and you're like, yes, I believe in the supernatural. Yes, I believe in Jesus, that he is my God. Here's what I would encourage you to do. Say, God, help me fight the right enemy. Please I don't want to look that person in the eye with hate one more time. God, next time my spouse blows up at me, God, help me see him the way you see him, right? Next time the person cuts me off at Walmart, God, help me see him the way you see him. Like if you're a Christian, could that be your prayer? Because you have the ability to think that way. And then I will give you this encouragement. Would you, could you end that prayer with just this one simple thing thank you you know I think a lot of times we come to church and we're like here's five ways to do a thing and I think those sermons are good but how many times do we come to church say you know what here's what you need to do this week Christian thank Jesus and I'm telling you when we become people who are grateful for what he's done we begin to live the way he's called us to live and then if you're here today and you are the skeptic here's what I would say it's a place of grace you're welcome here. I don't think you're here by accident, and I pray for you that God will do what He's done in so many of us and that He would give you faith. And I would invite you to come back as we keep talking about these conversations. And if you need to talk, every week, we're in that next step room. you can call the church. We'd love to talk to you. But our hope today is that everyone in here room in here can at least see a next step. I'm going to pray. If any of you need to talk, we are going to be some pastors in that next step room. I've loved hanging out with you. And uh, let's pray. God, just thank you for today. Thank you that we could come here and that you give us hope. God, that you don't give it, that we're, we're not a people who look at life through the lens of being victims, but God, that you've given us the ability to see life through the supernatural, through the understanding that in you, we have victory. I just pray that we will own that, God, that we will be grateful for what you've done for us on the cross. God, I pray for anyone in here today who said they might not would know you. God, I pray that you do what only you do. God, I know there's no fancy word that's ever going to come out of these two lips that's going to make someone follow you. The only thing that scripture says is you call people to yourself. So, God, I just say, please do what you do and call people to yourself. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Thanks for joining us for this service from Alistair Baptist Church. Alice Drive is one church with two locations. We have a location at the corner of Wise Drive and Loring Mill Road in Sumter. That location has services at 8.30 on Sunday morning, which is a traditional service, two contemporary services, one at 9.45 and one at 11, and then a service on Monday night for people who can't make it on Sunday, and that service is at 7 o'clock. We also have a location called Pocalla Church. It meets in Pocalla Springs Elementary School, on Bethel Church Road in Sumter, that location has two services at 9:45 and 11. I hope we will see you in person very soon. I'm Clay Smith, the lead pastor at Alice Drive Baptist Church in Sumter. Check us out at alistrive.org. God bless you. Hope to see you soon.